Welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling, the wrestling review podcast. Today we are on episode 16, discussing Money in the Bank 2020, which took place May 10th, 2020, in two different places at the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, and also the WWE headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. And we'll get to why that happened in a moment. Oh, uh, we also had an attendance of zero because. <laughs> Are you yeah, just not going to tell anybody who we are? So I was going to say, I am your co... You, no, we'll let you take it out. Babe. Now, it's, now it's on you since you... I've been trying to get this woman to start the show since the beginning, and she's never wanted to do it. So, okay, baby, it's on to you. To be fair, you only asked me one time. That was our very first episode. And you said no. Are you more comfortable no. doing it now? So yeah. we're going we're gonna to take a break now, and we're going to re-record this opening. So I'm just kidding. I am your co-host, Tommy, and as always, joined by, as you heard her... Just now, Olivia. Yes. How are you today now that you made me look like an ass on tape? Feeling very sassy. Excellent. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> and snarky. And snarky. Snarky. All right. So, uh, Olivia, as always, you have an opening question for me, correct? So, go ahead and hit me with it. I, honestly, I suck. I'm already fucking this up because I don't have an opening question. How do you me. not have an opening I question? No. Did you I just forget about it? or Yes, but also, normally, like, when I watch these podcasts, or watch these watch these pay-per-views, I feel very inspired and like to have very reflective questions, but this one was just so, it was so much the same as every pandemic pay-per-view that we watched, but then so completely different that honestly, I guess, I don't know, I feel like the one question I came up with was kind of a given, but I guess I'll ask it anyways. Okay, good. We have a question, everyone. So, We're off to a great start here in the first two minutes. <laughs> um, so, with Money in the Bank, one of my favorite pay-per-views, there's been a lot of different moments, and I'm like, that's pretty awesome. And regardless of whether you think this should be constituted as a whole pay-per-view or just a match that takes place, preferably at WrestleMania... What has to be your favorite Money in the Bank moment? And this could be someone winning it or somebody cashing it in. Easy. What is it and why? Dolph Ziggler, 2013, cash in. Which I know might surprise some people because of all the shit I talk on Dolph Ziggler. But at that time, I think he was the best at the moment. He was the most over. He was the most deserving. And the fucking roof blew off of that arena. On the, It was the Raw after WrestleMania. And the roof blew off of that arena like i was watching it on tv and i had to turn my tv down (laughs) to like four because of how loud it was that's awesome however i also think it's kind of tied with seth rollins's wrestlemania 31 cash in because he was the first to do it at wrestlemania and that crowd went bonkers because they were tired they had to watch brock Lesnar and roman reigns stink up the joint in the main event for about 20 minutes to that point and everyone's kind of sleepy and tired, and then Rollins' music hits, and everyone's like, oh, shit, he's holding the money in the break briefcase. So it's a tie between those two. Gotcha. Both very deserving, both awesome cash-ins. I just think Dolph's was, like, so loud and so banging and so awesome, and the tears rolling down his face when he won it just brings it over the notch a little bit. But that's my favorite money in the bank cash-in. Nice. So mine, I actually have two as well. Um, one being winning the briefcase and one being an actual cash-in. So, um, my favorite win, I would have to say, would be when John Cena won Money in the Bank. Oh, God, by complete accident? By complete accident is one of those things that's, like, immortalized in wrestling history. When you talk about, like, you know, people want to, people want to rag on modern wrestling for being very pre-planned and almost 
overly predetermined to the point where it's like beat by beat is planned out. I think that 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 moment is just one of those where it's like you can't, I mean, that and I don't know, you just can't, you can't plan stuff like that. You really cannot. And just like the look on his face of just pure shock and kind of like, oh shit, like what did I just do? But I just had to go with it. Is just amazing. Pretty sure that happened in 2013, right? I'm not sure. I don't know what year it was. Pretty sure it was 2013. Um, But then my favorite caption actually might surprise you. Um, 2018, right? Alexa Bliss. Wasn't that 2018? That was 2018, yeah. Okay, yes. uh, Because... Nia Jax? Yes, because it was literally two things. That same night, okay, she wins, she cashes it in at the pay-per-view, right, at the end of the show. But then also, I was there and got to see that, and so not only did I get to see Alexa Bliss win, but then I also got to see her cash it in, and that was, like, super exciting for me, because it's the only time I've ever seen a Money in the Bank being cashed in live. Because that's, I mean, when you think about it, it's pretty pretty rare. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, really, um, hopefully you do, but if you don't... (laughs) You have a ladder match to determine who gets the briefcase at the top, and that briefcase allows you to cash in on any champion of your choice. Um, it's got to be a world champion, or in the women's case, the women's world champion, um, up to a full year. So some people do it the exact same day as Alexa Bliss, or some people wait almost a full year, such as Seth Rollins or Dolph Ziggler. So yeah, that's actually a really good one. Um, I didn't go to that Money in the Bank that was in Chicago because I was busy the night before going to... An NXT pay-per-view in Chicago, which kicked WWE's ass that weekend, but yes. that's a good one as well. You know who also had a really good same-day cash-in was Dean Ambrose, and here's why. Because Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins obviously made up the Shield, and there was a match between Rollins and Reigns. Reigns was the champion. Rollins won the title that night, and then as soon as he won, Dean Ambrose, who had won the briefcase earlier that night, came out and cashed in. So in the same night, all three members of the Shield held the world title. And that was a really cool one as well. I think that was 2016. I think that sounds right. 2016. So, yeah. I like your picks too. Thank you. You gotta see one live. It's awesome. And it's like one of the best female wrestlers on the planet. Well, exactly. Yeah. Also a good choice. And it was also, the fans were happy because Ronda Rousey wasn't winning the title that night right away. So, And Nia Jax, no one gave a shit about. But we're not here to talk about those. We'll get to those events some way down the line. We're here to talk about 2020. So we did have a pre-show match. We actually forgot to watch it, which I just realized right now. But um, <laughs> damn, we're just like really killing it. Today. I know. Yeah, this is it was you know, you know, <laughs> there was the election. Yeah, we had a lot going on, so yeah. just bear a lot with going us. Going on this week, exactly. Um, so Jeff Hardy defeated Cesaro. I'm sure that was a good match. I mean, they're both good workers. Yeah. So you know, we didn't watch it. We'll get next week. We'll watch the pre-show match later this week, and next week we'll just say, "Hey, this is what we thought of this match." So stay tuned for that when we talk about. Payback next week? I have to look at the. Please do not ask me because I would not know the answer. No, we're, we're, we're doing NXT TakeOver in your house next week. So that's going to be a lit yes. show. Anyway, so the actual show, we start with a fatal four-way match. Fatal four-way tag team match, rather, for the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championships. And we have the New Day, consisting of Kofi Kingston and Big E, who are the champions, taking on the Lucha House Party, Lindsay Dorado and Grand Metalik, taking on the Miz and John Morrison, the former champs, Taken on for the first time on this podcast, the Forgotten Sons, who we forgot were an actual <laughs> tag team, which uh, consists of Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler, and they're uh, accompanied by their 
muscle, I guess, Jackson Ryder, Riker, Jackson Riker, of course. And these guys are like, if like, what's that show that everyone watched with the motorcycles? Sons of Anarchy became a tag team. They're like super American and they wear American flags mm-hmm. and they've all, they look like crowd I boys. don't know. I think it's worse than that, than that. I think if anybody, this is a super niche reference. So if you get it, then please be my friend. But it's almost as if the people from the reality show Buck Wild became wrestlers. Yeah, I don't get that reference. Okay, so... So are we not friends anymore? Cause... Yeah, we're not friends. Uh-oh. Um, so it was like this MTV reality TV show that ran for like maybe a season or two, but then they had to end it because, unfortunately, one of the people that was on the show um, had passed away, and it was basically like a reality show about like the most redneck of rednecks, like poor white trash. Poor white trash? Yes. Exactly. So Excellent. I, I don't know. I think I think you're giving them a little bit too much credit. It's like it's like if those rednecks dressed up as characters from Sons of Anarchy for Halloween. Gotcha. And you said yeah. the show ended because someone died, right? Yes. Okay. Well, that's I'm the king of transitions. So <laughs> this will be the first and hopefully last time we talk about the tag team because I their think career it will be. the career is dead. Yeah. Thanks to Jackson Riker who went on a racist tyrant um, around this time on black people for the Black Lives Matter things and said. Trump was a god to black people and Hispanic people. And, like, what? I don't even know what you're doing. Not to get into the politics here, but what are you doing in a just time of up. just turmoil? Like, have those views, I guess, but. It's so easy your... just to, to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. And, like, to say the Black Lives Matter is a terrorist group. When you literally are working in a match with two black people, yeah. mind you, and, uh,. You know, Black Lives Matter doesn't have much to do with Hispanic people, but also two Hispanic people in this match. So you might want to tone down the racial insensitivity. Yeah. Anyway. So. Rant aside. Yes. Getting onto the match. The New Day actually won the tag team titles on an episode of SmackDown from... They did a rematch of their WrestleMania match. However, the other three participants that weren't in the WrestleMania version were in it. And The Miz ended up getting pinned by uh, Big E. So that's why the New Day are the tag team champions. I laughed right away because when uh, Big E did his whole, you know, he usually says, starts out the entrance with, like, the city that they're in. But instead he goes, people at home! Because <laughs> there's obviously no one in the crowd, so that was funny. That gave me a good chuckle. Yeah. Um, the match starts, all four men get some offense right off the bat. Uh, Metalik and Morrison crash off the top rope with a Spanish fly onto everyone that's on the outside. And this is before we had the piped-in noises, so in my head I heard crowd chanting holy shit, which was awesome. Because that looked dirty. Uh, Morrison and then Lince Dorado get hot tags. Oh, also, something about this match. So, only two people are allowed in the match to begin with. So, say it's John Morrison versus Big E. However, Big E can tag in Grand Metalik or something like that. Anyone can tag in. It doesn't have to be your partner, obviously. But it's under Fatal 4 Rivers. So, Morrison and Dorado get hot tags and hit each other with high-impact Lucha offense. Where John Morrison also turns Kofi inside out with a springboard knee kick. Dorado then cracks the Miz with superkick number 72 of the show as Madalik destroys Morrison with a top rope per Karana. The Lucha House Party then almost get the win on Big E, but again, we all know for the teams that are not winning, it's not going to be the Lucha House Party. Uh, but the, uh, the Forgotten Sons break it up and take advantage very slowly because they're boring wrestlers and they're slow wrestlers. Big E then catches a flying Grand Madalik with a big ending and the pinfall to retain the championships. There was a lot going on in this match, but with multi-person matches, it's hard to call everything. But Olivia, what do we think? 
So, again, I'm going to preface my opinion by saying that I'm just dumb and that, like, following these multi-person matches, particularly multi-tag team matches, are really hard to follow. That's what I'm here for. Um, <laughs> I'm like so JR and you're Jerry the King Lawler. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just here to <laughs> just shout out some titties and have a good time. Uh... <laughs> And also be the best dressed. Big E's probably got the biggest titties in this match. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, this was just a very, I mean, it was very run-of-the-mill um, kind of multi-tag match. Um, there wasn't anything in particular that I could call out that I was like, oh, that was, like, awesome. Because um, I was kind of just distracted as to, like, why the Forgotten Sons were in this match in the first place. They did something where they beat up the New Day, and then they immediately got taken off TV for reasons I just <laughs> well, yeah. talked about. So, um, But other than that, there was one spot that I just, like, is, like, a classic wrestling spot. And I guess I hadn't thought about it on this level until now. But I just, like, I just laugh so hard at, like, moves where somebody will jump off the top rope into, like, a crowd of wrestlers because it's just like, in what world is that realistic? Like, in what world are they just all together, like, ringside? You know what I mean? I say this a lot on the <laughs> show, but it's, like, literally only in wrestling. Well, exactly. <laughs> only in wrestling does that ever happen. Um, but, of course, it's silly. It's entertaining. Of course, in this match where you have the New Day particularly, but then Lucha House Party, it's going to be pretty high-flying, lots of action. Um, other than being bogged down by the Forgotten Sons, which, I mean, I for totally forgot about them. I was like, oh yeah, that was a tag team. <laughs> um, which I feel like we're going to make those kind of comments a lot, particularly when we get to the years leading up to the Attitude Era. I feel like I'm going to hear you say a lot like, oh yeah, that was a tag team. Um, <laughs> you want to, you want to hear about Techno Team 2000? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> that, what a name. What a name. Or the Body Donnas. That was a good one. Good lord. Um, but regardless, <laughs> this match, like, I mean, okay. This is gonna, this rating is gonna sound bad, but I promise you it's not. I give it, I give it a 2.5 out of 5, just because it's middle of the road. There wasn't anything that was super great about this match. There wasn't anything that was wrong about this match. And of course, matches where you have either, like, multiple teams, or it's on a pay-per-view, um, and you have the previous team retained. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but then I kind of see, in, in understanding, when you see that wrestling is predetermined, I look at it as, like, it wasn't really necessary to put this match together, you know, for a pay-per-view specifically. Like, this couldn't have been just a, you know, a regular, like, SmackDown match, you know? Um, I mean, because, like, especially since it's the New Day that retained... Like, do they really need that other moment, like, another moment for them? Listen, I'll watch um, Kofi win anytime. I love Kofi. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Stuff. Entertaining wrestling all day long. But, like, it gets to a certain point where it's like, eh, is that really necessary? I mean, don't get me wrong. Normally, my complaint would be... Let me, wait, I just want to clarify. You don't want people to get you wrong. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that I normally would complain, oh, like, matches like this is the reason why these pay-per-views are, like three hours or four hours long, which this one's actually fairly short, so I'm not saying that... 12-minute match, wow. Yeah, I'm not saying that this match shouldn't have been on the card. I just kind of don't see the point. So yeah, middle-of-the-road kind of rating. Wasn't great. Wasn't bad. It's very classic wrestling to me. I thought this match moved really fast, and I looked at the time just now, as you saw. It said 12 minutes, and I was like, oh, it was probably like a 20-minute match, but it just went really fast. But no, it was only 12 minutes, so that was surprising. I mean, the match was fun. Um, nothing too crazy, nothing we hadn't seen before. All of these guys are good workers, and then you had the Forgotten Sons. So, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I gave it a three out of five. I thought some of the stuff was good. I thought, again, kind of, we talked about this at Elimination Chamber. Lucha House Party looked great. Yeah. Like, why are we not making it. them, like, tag team champs for, like, at least a month or something? Kind of see what they can do. Well, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good match. I mean, John Morrison and The Miz looked great, as always. New Day, you can't. They could fart on a drum and people would like it. <laughs> exactly. I'm pretty sure they have. <laughs> and the Lucha House Party have been really impressive, I think, this year. It's just the Forgotten Sons kind of bogged it down. They they had nothing of note, really, aside from, you know, not being able to read the Twitter room and being incredibly racist. So, yeah, it's three out of five, you know, good for the New Day. The people at home really made me laugh, like, really made me laugh. I thought that was hilarious. But, yeah. Last note about the Forgotten Sons. The thing about... When people get fired super quickly from the company, oh, they're like they're that. still they're still under contract. Oh, okay. Well, regardless of whether they're under contract or not, when they get like super booted, like basically off the roster, you can be under contract and not be on the fucking roster. Is it it's like they they I guess have this sort of attitude that since they have a contract with WWE, that they not that they have free to, free reign to kind of say or do whatever, but they kind of have this air of arrogance about them that's totally unearned. And I think, like, okay, yeah, honestly, like, you know, racist shit aside, like, it's not like you can say that kind of stuff and have, like, I guess, like, the talent or the charisma or, you know, the career to back it up, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you don't. Right. <laughs> you're not you're not great wrestlers. Yeah. And the fact that you're racist on top of that is just kind of a double whammy. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's funny to think, you. I mean, you actually thought they were fired, and it just, it really inspired me right now to think after WrestleMania, which was the last pay-per-view we did, and then now we're on Money in the Bank, which mm-hmm. was a month later, between that, we have what was called Black Wednesday, which took place on um mid-april of 2020 i can't remember the exact day it was obviously on a wednesday where the wwe had to let go of a bunch of people so we said goodbye to luca gallows and carl anderson which were big names i mean they were aj styles's tag team yeah. essentially we said goodbye to kurt angle heath slater uh sarah logan uh eric rowan zach Ryder. that one hurt rusev and then a bunch of people backstage, as, much, as well as other wrestlers like Leo Rush, EC3, Kurt Hawkins, um, Drake Maverick, but he, he ended up keeping his job, which was kind of weird. But, like, all these people left, and then you kept the Forgotten Sons to build them up to really do what? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, so that was that was kind of strange. And, th- I mean, I get why WWE had to furlough or fire these people. You have to keep money somehow in these trying times that we had no idea what was going to happen in. But, you know... Maybe you could have got rid of some other people. Like, I hope Jackson... Why is Lars Sullivan just returned for the fucking eighth time? Why is he still under contract? He has done nothing but spout homophobic and racist shit, and he still has a job. And I wasn't think he we'll just be... caught in a recent scandal, not to interrupt you, but wasn't he just caught in a recent scandal where he was being inappropriate with Yeah, he somebody? was trying to get titty pictures from some like some woman trainer who was just like, dude, I, I will block you. Do not ask me for those. This is so inappropriate. What an idiot. Not only that, he said a bunch of racist shit on bodybuilding forums years ago. And he also was talking shit on gay people and then he ended up being in gay porn. The fuck is wrong with you? Like, get your shit together. But that's beside the point. It's We're not talking. Stop. Yeah, like, why do you have to be... Beside the point. Lars Solomon is not even on the show, so why am I talking about him? We move on to our... Oh, no. Sorry. We have a backstage segment. Lacey Evans is seen on TikTok or something similar um, saying she's the greatest veteran of all time. And at first I was just like, did she talk about, like, veteran wrestler? She's only been around for a couple years, and I remembered she was in the military. Yeah. So, yay. Um, 
And then we're backstage with Charlie Caruso, who is interviewing Drew McIntyre, who wishes all the mothers a happy Mother's Day. And I had to look and see if this was the day Mother's Day was. And it was. So to all the women out there that were mothers on May 10th, happy Mother's Day. Uh, six months later. It's a little belated, but we believe in you. Thank you for mothering us. So we have our next match. It's R-Truth versus MVP Montel Vontavious Porter. Except, <laughs> no it's not. Fun. Well, actually, let me start on the first point. Truth comes out and he's doing his rap, his What's Up rap. And I didn't, I was like, why is he rapping? Because it's a, it's, a part, it's a crowd participation thing. So he goes, what's up? And he points to the microphone and the crowd's supposed to yell, what's up? It's the call and response. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, why is he doing that? Until I realized our truth is the character doesn't realize that there's not people in this town. Yeah. So he literally goes, WWE Performance Center, what's up? And he holds up the microphone. And I think in his mind, he's hearing the crowd go, what's up? And he goes, yeah, that sounded great. And I'm like, this guy is a comic genius. <laughs> Who, like... Get, Another level. Just, he is so smart and so funny. And he, I don't think he gets the credit for how damn funny as he is. Because that is a man who I'm just like, what does he do? Oh, I, I mean, get what he he's ca- doing. I would argue that he kind of does get the credit. Because, I mean, regardless of how many people it's been passed on to, like, the 24-7 championship is our It's about, like, I guarantee you Vince McMahon was like, you're so funny to me because... You know, wrestling aside, like, Vince McMahon loves R-Truth yes. because he thinks that he is just the funniest person on the planet, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, he is. But, like, that Vince was like, I'm going to make this belt just for you because it's almost the exact same thing as a hardcore championship. Which he also did win. Yeah. And so, but, and we're going to pass it off to a bunch of people, but ultimately, it's always, the belt's always going to be on you, yes. which I love. So, and I mean, I'm looking I think at he kind of does get the credit for it. It's at true. At least a little bit. I'm looking at his Wikipedia right now, and he has won this title. Do you see how many numbers that is? 42 times. <laughs> So, good That's for him. That's awesome. So, we get a little bit of a swerve. He's actually not wrestling MVP. Bobby Lashley comes out, Olivia's favorite wrestler, and this match, I mean, Lashley just kills Truth with a spear and he wins. So. Yeah, that was, that's my two notes. What do we think? Um, you know, I initially gave this a 2.5 out of 5, but I think I'm going to give this a 1.5 out of 5. <laughs> that's higher than I thought. I mean, are you only giving it that because, like, how funny Truth was and then everything yeah. is, like, really good on the microphone? Yeah. Okay. That's where the 1.5 comes from. I gave it a 1 out of 5. I mean, what was the point other than making me laugh? Actually, there was a funny point because Truth and MVP are, like, talking back and forth. And our truth is like, I'm balling, which was MVP's thing. That was kind of funny. But, like, what was the point of this match? I did, though, realize, however, that though he did have a break after 2001, our truth debuted in the WWF, at the time WWF, 20 years ago. In 2000, October of 2000, that is a long-ass time ago. Because I remember being like, oh, K-Quick is awesome. And then he came back as R-Truth, and I was like, I don't like that name as much. He has been in the WWE for a long-ass time. A long time. Almost as long as I've been alive. (laughs) (sighs) All right, moving on. So we get a video clip from Baron Corbin, who is making fun of Elias and Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan. Okay. And then <laughs> Kayla Braxton is now interviewing Bailey and Sasha Banks. And I am, we just did Hell in a Cell last week and, you know, they their friendship was broken up and I'm already missing this friendship. Those two were so good together. I think they were so funny. It's kind of weird to think what happened from May all the way to now, early November. So we move on to the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship match. The champion Bailey with Sasha Banks taking on Tamina Snuka. Talking about Forgotten Sons or Forgotten Daughters, at least. Um... 
so Sasha, as Tamina makes her entrance or her, uh, her introduction, um, they're like, you know, from the Isle of Samoa, Tamina Snuka, and you can hear Sasha Banks on the side going, boo. And then they're like, from San Jose, California, Bailey. And then Sasha's like, yay. Again, making me really miss these two as friends. Uh, Tamina overpowers Bailey early, but Bailey outsmarts Tamina by smashing her leg into the turnbuckle, making Tamina look even stupider because Bailey then continues to rock her leg for about three or four minutes' time. Tamina then hits Bailey with a headbutt and a corner splash, but Bailey attempts uh, top rope something on Tamina, but is unable to lift her and she gets squashed. Bailey then throws water in Tamina's face. Where the fuck she got that from, I don't know. Tamina then wakes up, rebounds her off the ropes, and clotheslines the absolute fuck out of her and connects with superkick number 73. Tamina then hits superkick number 74 and a Samoan drop, but her pin is distracted by Banks, who then suckers her into a Bailey crucifix pin for the win and the retainment of her SmackDown Women's Championship. So, Olivia, what do we think? Um, well, first of all, I made the note that I, like, legit didn't remember that this match was... Happening. <laughs> on this pay-per-view. <laughs> um, nothing exciting really happened, but I'm kind of not surprised. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love Bailey, but, and Tamina's a fine worker, but I just don't understand, yeah. like, I just don't understand why she keeps giving, getting these opportunities, and only for them to, like, not ever, like, put the title on her. I would understand, like, maybe if, like, they had put the title on her at one point, or are planning on it, but they constantly put her in these, like, pretty good matches and you know give her a pretty good position on the card only for her to lose like every time and it's not even like it's not even like a strong loss just because she doesn't have any sort of charisma what's she doesn't know how to sell no charisma at all and i just don't really understand like what her gimmick is supposed to be because just like just being tamina well i think she's supposed to be like us kind of unfortunately and it sounds super insensitive to say but the way it comes off is like back in the 70s and 80s when they had that savage Samoan character but it's kind of what she's supposed to be but but, but the, the thing is is that even if you were to tell me that and even if that's even if she were to say like yes that's what I'm supposed to be I would say where it's not in the outfit it's not in the performance it's not in the attitude she doesn't wrestle like her dad who I I'm gonna anger some older fans here she's jimmy snook is not even that good of a wrestler no not so at all. he was known for jumping off a cage yeah <laughs> and so i don't know i guess i mean call me a tamina hater i guess but i just don't get it but i guess the other thing the, the other reason why i didn't like this match is because it's when T- tamina comes out out of all fucking people you're like okay well bailey's definitely winning this match right and so super predictable which i mean fine whatever but I don't know, wasn't exciting. So I gave this a 1.5 out of 5. Um, and I said that this match wasn't even that long. But it was too long still. <laughs> it was 11 minutes. So yeah, too long. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it a 1 out of 5. I mean, neither of them were really that impressive. Um, so Tamina has a mean headbutt. I'll give her that. But and hey. That's about it. Yeah, um, I, I laughed at the Sasha thing at the beginning. But that, that shouldn't carry on the match. But Tamina is... Uh, the recipient of a few records I'm going to read off to you here. Okay. So she actually has won a championship in the WWE. Would you like to guess what title she's won? Uh, we just talked about it. Did we? In this, in this segment? Literally like two minutes ago. I'm trying to... Maybe the women's tag? No. She no? has won the 24-7 championship one time. And if you're going to ask me when, I don't know. This title changes hands so many times, it's impossible. 
She is also the recipient of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which is like the highest form of wrestling awards you can get, um, of the worst feud of the year in 2015 <laughs> with Team PCB versus Team Bad versus Team Bella. And also the recipient of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Newsletter's worst worked match of the year in 2013, where I'm going to re- just list off these names. So apparently it was Tamina, AJ Lee, Oksana, Alicia Fox, Caitlin, Rosa Mendez, and Summer Rae versus Brie Bella, Nikki Bella, Cameron, Eva Marie, JoJo, Naomi, and Natalia. You know what makes me laugh about that era of wrestling? Because I've, I've written extensively on it, first of all. <laughs> but that era of women's wrestling specifically is such a dichotomy. Because on one hand, you've got like some great like future like main roster performers on NXT. They're kicking ass. They're taking names. And they're like really making a name for like women's wrestling. And then on the quote-unquote main roster, so we just have to put quotations around it, you have like a couple of wrestlers. You got you got Natty in this match and Caitlyn, who I think is very good, and Alicia Fox. I love Alicia Fox. Okay, but out of all of those women wrestlers between like twenty eleven and like twenty fifteen, you've got like Paige that's like the best. Okay, and but it th- my point is is that you've got some really good women's wrestling mostly on NXT, but then like you've got some really bad. Like when I think back about all of those main roster women's matches that happened particularly between 2013 to 2015 like just garbage just hot fucking flaming dumpster fire you know what though they <laughs> are better than the ruthless aggression era matches where it was just like bikini match you you okay yes you can say that <laughs> but the reason why these matches that i'm referring to are so much worse is because they're trying to market themselves as one thing but are still the same product that you were getting from the Ruthless Aggression era. Yeah. At least in the Attitude era and the Ruthless Aggression era and pretty much any wrestling era before now. Like, women were objectified. Women were sexualized. Women were used as objects, you know, and not perceived or taken seriously as actual wrestlers. But at least, like, that was, like, very apparent. But, like, in this period that I'm talking about, I have a lot of conflict um, in what I think about this sort of era of women's wrestling because they market the they had marketed themselves as like, oh, this is the beginning of the women's uh revolution slash evolution, whatever the fuck they wanted to call it then. And like it's gonna be super empowering and we're gonna have actual matches and we're gonna wear actual gear where we actually take ourselves seriously. But then you just had the fucking Bella's like titty slapping each other all the time. Well, I mean, Total and, Divas like, kind of set it back another year, so unfortunately. I I see your point, but here, here was the here was the first cast of of Total Divas, the Bella Twins, which makes sense. They were a big deal. Yeah, not great wrestlers at all, but they were a big deal. Which I get fun it. fact, they end up becoming, uh, I believe, it's executive producers of Total Divas. Oh, of course, they in are. later years. So it's actually this entire team. So it's the Bellas, mm-hmm. Cameron, mm-hmm. Eva Marie. Jojo, Naomi, and Natalia. One of them is a great wrestler. One, one of one. them. <laughs> and another thing, too, is that I wish people would stop being, like... I wish wrestling outlets, media outlets, would stop being, like, oh, Eva Marie might return. Why would you want it. that? Why? Why? I liked that gimmick she did right before she got fired, where it was, like, Eva Marie has a match, and then she'd be, like, she cannot make it because she's stuck in traffic. That shit was really funny. Okay, no, that was funny. That's sports entertainment. But, like, her actually wrestling. Oh, she's miserable. Like, absolutely, I mean, 
I want to rip my eyeballs out <laughs> and blend them up and drink them because I, I do not want to watch her wrestle. Yeah, she wasn't good. And regardless of the fact, if she were to come back and be decent at wrestling, like, she's still not going to be as good as the, especially the women's wrestler that we have today. Yeah. Are you oh, fucking good kidding Lord. me? Yeah, she's going to get torn apart. <laughs> Well, good thing is, later on this match, we have, or on this card, we have a much better women's match, even yes. though it's not technically a wrestling match. But before we get there, we'll move on to the WWE Universal Championship match. So we yes. got Braun Strowman, the champion, taking on Bray Wyatt, and Bray Wyatt wanted his title back, and he also wanted his old minion, Braun Strowman, back, because when Braun first, I think I mentioned this months ago now at this mm-hmm. point, but when Braun Strowman first debuted in the WWE, he was part of Bray's family. Now Bray's got the whole Fiend gimmick and the Funhouse gimmick, which we actually get not a Fiend Bray Wyatt today, but we get Funhouse Bray, which I love because I love the music and I love the look. We get Mr. Rogers Mr. Rogers Bray, yeah. So Braun powers his way through Wyatt early, but his cockiness sends him through the announce table. Not through it, actually, but like over it. And then Wyatt averts complete disaster um, by not getting train wrecked by Braun. One of Bray's uh, little characters from the Firefly Funhouse, Huskus the Pig, appears to give Bray some words of encouragement. Bray then hits a move I've never seen him do before, a top rope tornado DDT followed by the sister Abigail, but he only gets two. Strowman gets kicked to the outside and he pops back up and he's wearing the old Wyatt family mask, the little black sheep mask. Bray and Strowman embrace as the Funhouse characters celebrate in the stands, they're cheering them on, and then Strowman removes the mask, crushes it under his boot, and hits Wyatt with the running power slam to retain the title. So, Olivia, what do we think? And I just want to let you know as well, this match was also about ten and a half minutes. So, but beside the point. Okay, yeah. So, I'm going to say this match was a weird one, but I really liked it. Uh, I loved the sort of callback to the Wyatt family, because um, that was kind of one of my... Uh, favorite storylines in you know the past few years because there's only a few that I could pick that I could actually say were decent to great um the Wyatt family being one actually um I I really dug the fact that it was uh Mr. Rogers Bray Wyatt rather than The Fiend I thought that that was kind of interesting because in the past ever since he started the whole um Fiend gimmick He's not wrestled as Bray Wyatt very many times. There's, it has been seldom times, but... And this being one of them. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, and I kind of liked the whole um, psychological aspect to it. Because that's very much... You know, it lends itself to pretty much any storyline that Bray Wyatt's been in. Uh, I Although, I have to say, I weirdly enough that you say that this match was like ten and a half minutes. Because my only complaint was that I wished that this match was longer. Really? I, I wish this match was longer, and I also have to say that I wish that this storyline, because I, I remember trying to think back to this and, like, what was going on in the weekly programming, I kind of wish that they would have fleshed this Well, they did, they had, because our first episode, the horror, WWE Horror Show at Extreme Rules, did I get that right? Um, <laughs> they had the Swamp Match, which is... They did, yes, And then yes. they had that SummerSlam feud... And then that's when Roman yeah. came in and demolished both of them. So, I mean, they went for about two and a half months, three months. That's true. That's true. But I, I think that if you have such, I guess, history like that with, like, being on a team. Like, for example, like, in these last, you know, in the past year, basically, we've seen Sasha Banks and Bailey going back and forth between, you know, friends to foes, back to friends, back to foes. And I really like that dynamic, and it's well-deserved because, I mean, they've had such 
a long history together, even, like, going back to NXT. And so I think that that's kind of the same dynamic that Bray Wyatt um, and Braun Strowman have. So I just, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a great, it was a great feud, but I just, I wish it was, I wish they had carried that out longer. Because it was one of the actually good feuds that had some sort of substance to it right. within this past year. Long-term storytelling. Exactly, so. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fangirl for some long-term storytelling. So your final grade? Oh, final grade. Uh, three out of five. Not terrible. Wasn't like the greatest thing ever, but I, I liked I liked everything that was going on. So <laughs> I gave it a 2.5 out of five. Um, I didn't think the wrestling was all that great. I mean, Braun and Bray are both good yeah. on their own, but they need better opponents than each other yeah. to wrestle. Um, this is definitely the best match they had because it's better than the SummerSlam one and it's better than the Swamp Fight one. Um, I love the I, the last four or five minutes with the whole story, but yeah. I love that. So that's what really bumps it up to a much better match. And this was Braun's first title defense and he won, so that was good. Like I said, neither him or Drew are still champion and they were the first and only people as the time of this podcast to win a title in the... COVID no fan era and lose a title in the COVID no fan era. So, strange. Very strange. I, I can't imagine what the expectations would be of you as a, like, as one of the leading champions like that in a time where there's, like, no fan. Because, like, right. I mean, when you think about it, they're kind of like, when you get a very prestigious title like that put on you, you're almost kind of like the beauty queen where you're expected to you know, go to fan meetups and, you know, have autograph signings and but you can't um, do that have right photo now. shoots and stuff like that, but you can't do that within a pandemic. I know, and I feel like a lot of people are going to say, like, Braun's one of the worst champions we've had in recent history, but and that's like, through no fault of his own. Yeah, exactly. So, it's not like he's been able to exemplify why he's a good champion. Right, but somehow Drew was able to, so, you know. Yeah. Speaking of which, transitions again. Yes. We got the WWE World Heavyweight Championship match. Champion Drew McIntyre taking on Seth Rollins. We start out with a lockup, and Drew sends Rollins flying with a shoulder tackle. Rollins gets thrown around tons more, eating the turnbuckle, chops, and suplexes from Drew. Rollins then locks in a single-leg crab for what seems like 20 minutes. The two then fight to the outside, and Rollins is springboard, or hits a springboard knee to Drew's face from the barricade. Rollins attempts a suicide dive onto the outside, but he's caught and launched over the announce table. Rollins then rocks Drew with super kick number 75 and a frog splash, but he only gets two. Rollins grabs a chair. Instead, he thinks better of using it, because of course he'll get disqualified. Aims for a stop, but gets choked and... or sorry, gets choked and then hit with a Glasgow kiss, which is Drew's headbutt. Rollins then somehow hits a top rope superplex and rolls into the Falcon Arrow. And to do that on a guy who is Drew's size is pretty impressive, but again, he only gets a two count. Rollins hits super kick number 76 and a stop, but only gets the two. The ending sequence then happens, which sees uh, a Glasgow kiss turned into super kick number 77. It's a lot of super kicks in this match. And then a Claymore out of nowhere to finally end the match. We end, surprisingly, with a handshake between the two men and no attack afterwards, which was kind of surprising because we kind of know the asshole Seth Rollins has been character-wise recently. But Olivia, what do you think? We think. What do we think? I guess it's you think. You get the first bit. I don't... I, I don't want to be super critical because I feel like I'm kind of a broken record at this point with every Seth Rollins match that I've watched in the last, <laughs> like, two years. But it just... it You know, it's... It, here's the thing. It's not bad wrestling. I don't want to sit here and say 
that Seth Rollins is a terrible wrestler or that he doesn't know how to work with people or like what have you because he's one of the I mean he's one of the best like he is like one of the like leading figures in the company so I don't want to sit here and say that he's bad at wrestling by any means and it's not like he's bad at cutting promos or you know I don't understand like why he's you know one of the faces of the company because I I get it but it just it's the same shit over and over and over again I feel like all these matches like all these Seth Rollins matches just kind of bleed together at this point for me and there's like no because they're almost the exact same every time and here's the thing this is a good match but if you were to tell me that that was you know some match that happened in like 2018 I would be like yeah okay cool like that makes sense like I would be I would be the dumbass would be like yeah I don't know what year that was or what pay-per-view that was like if it wasn't for the fact that there's money in the bank going around them and the fact that there's no audience like I would not be able to tell you that that happened this year or at money in the bank but all that aside I, I really love I really love the Claymore kick that shit is so awesome that came out of nowhere uh, <laughs> yeah I just it's one of my favorite finishers I think I, I, and I was just thinking about this like you would actually have to stand so far away from him for him to hit that move correctly because his legs are so incredibly long Boy, six foot seven. that it probably feels kind of crazy up into the point that he does it because if you were to stand any closer to him like your shit would get rocked and I just think it's badass and it's I can't imagine getting hit with that fucking boot to the face so final rating 3.5 out of 5 not one of my faves but it was a very decent match I gave it the same grade um, I think of all the Rollins matches we've covered this year from his pretty entertaining but silly eye for an eye match to his absolutely miserable match at Wrestlemania this is definitely his best match of the year and we, we t- actually he had the Dominic match which was really good too but we talked about that with the Dominic match that you know he made a young kid look really good. This is the guy you want him in the ring, a, a you know a new rookie in the ring with. You want a consummate professional, and while Drew McIntyre is not a rookie, he's a brand new champion. And put him in the ring with Seth Rollins, and you're gonna get a good match. You're gonna get a good story. You're gonna get a good match. You're gonna get serviceable stuff, and that's what we got here. I thought it was fun. Um, I mean, I definitely wanted a little more, but you know, for Drew's first title defense. For that sweet ending sequence we got, for that really cool superplex to Falcon Arrow that I can't believe he hit on a dude that's Drew's size. Very good match. 3.5 out of 5. So this one's going to be a little difficult to talk about, but we'll just kind of try and go beat by beat as we can. We have the women's Money in the Bank ladder match, as well as the men's Money in the Bank ladder match, happening at the same time. Same time. For the very first time. Yep. And you might have wondered at the beginning of the match, or at the beginning of the show, why I said... Part of the show takes place at the WWE headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut, because we get both of these matches. So the women's match consists of Lacey Evans, Nia Jax, Carmella, Shayna Baszler, Dana Brooke, and Asuka. And the men's match consists of AJ Styles, Otis, Aleister Black, Baron Corbin, Rey Mysterio, and Daniel Bryan. And so we start to get the entrances. We get two people from the women's side, and then it cuts to the men's side. We get two, and then two, and two, and two, and two. Um, the women meet in the lobby. The men meet in the gym. What I thought was really funny about this is when Daniel Bryan, he's the last one to enter, and he's like, all right, let's get this going. Who's ready to wrestle? It's like, motherfucker, you're in a gym. You're not here to wrestle. So um, Asuka then appears. She's the last one on the women's side to enter. She's on the balcony above all the women, and she cross-bodies them all. And she missed about 40% of it. The only time that that move would actually make sense in a match, the only time it would be realistic, 
is when they're entering. The beginning of the match is when they're all standing together right there. Yeah. It's the only time. And I'm I'm starting to think this seems really dangerous because obviously all of these people in this match know how to wrestle. The professionals, they know what they're doing, but you're in a headquarters. You're in a, you're in a, a, you're in a business essentially. Yeah. What, how are you going to do this? Well, so the point of this match is to start where they start and then to make their way up the t- this is a tower it's a it's a skys well it's not a skyscraper but it's a big ass building so they I make- would say it's a skyscraper it's, it's pretty a, big yeah it's in Stanford Connecticut so their skyscrapers are probably like four stories yeah <laughs> um so they make your way up to the ring where both the women's and the men money in the bank briefcase is hanging there's still ladders there's still a ring on top of this building anyway so Oscar climbs in the elevator she's the only one in there she climbs her way up and she's still dancing and doing her Oscar thing how she didn't win this match right away by having that gigantic head start I won't know but sports entertainment yeah because uh, they never really explain no, that they don't because I know at one point oh no they do because the men once the men get to the elevator they click it and then Oscar's like why isn't it going up but she still yeah. had a really big head start yeah so uh, Corbin then chucks a weight at Ray Ray's face, but he misses, and it breaks like this mirror that's there. And I'm like, um, that might not not supposed to been to happen, but beside the point. Uh, a hallway chase ensues and leads Ray Mysterio to the bathroom, and he runs into Brother Love, which was a um, Bruce Pritchard's character from the early '90s that was there for reasons. I mean, it's funny to see him, but why is he there? The men and women finally meet as people spill out of the elevators and fight in the hall. Mella slaps Nia Jax, and then she gets destroyed. A few of the women find themselves in a conference room where a fake Money in the Bay briefcase hangs. Dana Brooke grabs it, and the music plays as if she won. But then Stephanie McMahon, who was totally not there... But it's, suppo- like, it's supposed to look like she's there. Yeah, but, but totally she's not. not there. Calls Dana Brooke an idiot. That's not the real Money in the Bank briefcase. You need to head up to the roof. AJ Styles then chases Rey Mysterio, but runs into an Undertaker poster and gets really scared. And then he gets tossed into an Undertaker-themed room with a casket and an urn by Aleister Black. And then he freaks out. You never see how he got out of this room, by the way. But I thought that was a funny little moment. We then meet Paul Heyman, who naturally is sitting down to have a buffet to himself. And we get a food fight, which I looked at you, my vegan girlfriend, and thought, none of that food's vegan. And Daniel Bryan's a vegan. So I don't want, I don't, I think he actually moved back. I can't, like, I'm trying to think if he was actually involved in any of this. I don't think he was. Uh, Shayna Baszler then, for some reason, locks Rey Mysterio in a sleeper hold. They're not in the same match. The men can't win the women's briefcase, and the women can't win the men's briefcase. But she puts him in a sleeper hold, and then he gets squished by both Otis and Nia because, haha, they're fat. That's funny. Um, Mella then gets powerbombed through the food table. John Laurinaitis, the old, uh... The old talent relations guy and GM of Raw shows up and gets a pie to the face. We then cut to... Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. The women find themselves near a custodian, and there's a person mopping, and Dana Brooke eats absolute shit and cracks her head on the mop floor. I don't think she's seen again. Um, we then cut to AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan fighting. They enter a random room, and for the very first time on this podcast, Olivia, if you can believe it, we see Vince McMahon... Yes. Who is telling them to get the hell out of his conference room and we get this humorous little moment where the guys are like, oh, okay, and they stop fighting and then they like readjust everything in the conference room and then Vince McMahon sanitizes himself. Uh, we finally get to the roof. The women get there first. Asuka climbs the ladder after knocking Lacey off, but Corbin comes out to climb the ladder and push off, tries to push Asuka off. Bro, if you just climbed the ladder, you both would have won. I don't yeah. see what the problem was, but Asuka's like, okay, idiot, and she knocks him off and she becomes Miss Money in the Bank. 
The men, then, the rest of the men then appear. Corbin absolutely murders both Alistair Black and Rey Mysterio by throwing them off of the tower. Now, when I first saw this, I knew in my brain, like, oh, there's something under there. But I didn't see how it happened because by the looks of the tower with the helicopter shot, it looks like they were getting thrown off. But on the second watch, you see this padding that's there. Still, the point is, Baron Corbin threw two people off of a 20-story tower and murdered them, and then they were back on Raw the next day. <laughs> so, AJ and Corbin then climb the ladder and fight over the briefcase. Elias comes out, hits Corbin with the guitar. AJ unhooks the briefcase, but it slips out of his hands into Otis's waiting arms, and Otis is Mr. Money in the Bank. So we have Asuka and Otis as winners, and Olivia, I think... I mean, it's just basically one match. So yeah. what do we think of both men and women's Money in the Bank briefcase match? I thought that my one, I guess, notable note that I, in all these notes that I made is I have to say that this is probably one of the most lighthearted and creative cinematic matches <laughs> that they've had. And I totally appreciate that. Like, I mean, you, you basically explained all of them, so I don't need to repeat them. Uh, but I, there were so many funny moments that you're just like, why? And again, only in wrestling, dude, only in wrestling. I want to, I want to interrupt just for a second. So like you didn't watch this pay-per-view live and I was just like, you need to watch the money in the briefcase match, money in the bank match. And you were like so adamant against it. And I somehow talked you into watching it. And now I'm so glad that I did (laughs) because this match is, especially on second watch is so funny that I just, I mean, there's, you know, I had to give him credit where credit's due because there's, like, no feasible way to, like, in this pandemic era, have the Money in the Bank match. It's supposed to, I mean, don't you, it's supposed to be a match that's very big, larger than life. You know, you've got the huge ladders, and every single year when somebody climbs up to the top of the ladder and unhooks the briefcase and wins, like, it's a huge moment. So how do you take that huge moment and translate it into something that can be done without an audience? And I think that it is kind of ingenious to not only put it at the headquarters, but then to put it on top of, a you know, a skyscraper. I just think is so fun and is so different. And is it's great. So yeah. my final rating for I'm gonna I'm gonna inca- since they happened at the same time I'm gonna put them in one match. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my final rating for these two or one match, however you wanna you know classify it, is a four out of five because I just thought it was funny and it was entertaining and I liked both winners. I'm glad that Oscar won and I'm glad Otis won. So yeah, um, I give this a four point five out of five. Both of them. I'm just gonna make it all one match because yeah. it essentially was the women fought the men too at some point so um it was so funny this match was hilarious um from the random brother love appearance that just kind of made me laugh to uh the john laurinaitis saying to the food fight to the undertaker moment to baron corbin literally getting away with murder to uh brooke splatting her brain on the floor for my my favorite moment was just early on in the match where you had you had said it when you were going beat by beat, but I just thought it was so funny when Baron Corbin just like chucks that way at Rey Mysterio and it just goes flying into that mirror. And there for a second, I mean, I don't know if it's just great acting or if it really wasn't supposed to happen, but he has that look on his face like, oh shit, uh, I don't know what was supposed <laughs> to happen because like how do you pre- you know you can't really pre-plan something like yeah, this. Like- so I imagine they were just kind of going with it. 
And whatever gets destroyed gets destroyed, I Ray, guess. Ray needed to... If he wasn't moving out of the way of that thing, he was going to get crushed by a yeah. weight. Um, and Ray Mysterio is a small dude. And Baron Corbin's a big dude. So, so yeah, 4.5 out of 5 for me. This was just really innovative, really fun. There was honestly nothing else they could have done. This had to be the match they had. And I loved almost every second of it. I mean, it gets knocked a little bit for, like, why is Dana Brooke in the match? And, like, how did Asuka not win technically right away? And the Stephanie McMahon thing was a little weird. But that's juxtaposed with Vince McMahon, which made me laugh the hardest. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so good sh- good, good stuff. So, Olivia, what is your match of the night, performer of the night, and final grade from Money in the Bank 2020? So, my match of the night has to definitely go to the Money in the Bank match or matches, however you, again, however you want to classify it. Um, performer of the night? That's interesting. Um... Because before the actual uh, Money in the Bank match, there wasn't much to comment on or much to praise, I guess. So, um, I'll, you know what? My performer of the night has to go to Otis. Good for him Otis. for all winning right. the Money in the Bank. Because that would have been my last guess. And that all of those contenders. Honestly, the last one. same for me. And as we know now, because we covered it last week, he lost the damn fucking briefcase. Yeah. So. Uh, All right, your final grade. Um, I'll give it a three out of five. Okay. Because I didn't really like much before the Money in the Bank matches, but I really, really enjoyed the Money in the Bank matches. Okay. So, and I and too, my last note on it is I think it's absolutely ingenious that you had them both happening in tandem at the same time. Right. I love that. Kind of only the way you could do it. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. And then we, as we know, Asuka, she went on to win the women's title. But without really winning it, she's the first person to not cash in. Because we found out the next night on Raw, as she was going to cash in on Becky Lynch, that Becky Lynch is pregnant. And Becky Lynch said, you didn't win a title shot, you won the title. Yeah. And that was awesome for both women, I think. Because Becky's pregnant and Asuka's like, Asuka's, aside from Bailey, the most decorated woman in WWE history. Yes, very well deserved. Yes, absolutely. So... Actually, Oscar's more so because Oscar's won a Royal Rumble and Bailey has not. Yes. And so my match of the night goes to the Money in the Bank for all the reasons I said. Awesome job. Funny. Entertaining. No real wrestling. But, I mean, kind of impossible to do. Yeah. Still fun, though. Yeah. Performing the night went to Drew McIntyre, however. I think he had a very great first defense. He looked awesome. That Claymore nearly took uh, Rollins' head off. And, yeah, he looked great here. And, Olivia, I'm going to really upset you with my attire of the night. And it's going to go to Mr. McMahon's denim jeans Uh, and suit jacket look. Because uh, I've never seen Vince McMahon in jeans before. And it made me laugh so hard that the man who always has $1,000 suits, probably more than that, was wearing a cheap suit jacket, an untucked shirt, and jeans. And that was hilarious. And my final grade is going to be a 3 out of 5. Kind of for the same reasons you did. I mean, the opening match was decent. The middle was eh. The world title match I thought was pretty solid. The universal title match had a really good ending. And the money in the bank match was a lot of fun. So with 3 out of 5, you had some trash in here, but you had some good stuff in here. Probably, you know, I probably never watch it again, but I'll watch that money in the bank match again. Yeah. But we will be back with what I think will be a much better pay-per-view, one we did watch live, I believe, and that is NXT TakeOver In Your House, bringing back the old 90s In Your House name and logo. That was a lot of fun. That reminded me of being a kid. 
But until then, thank you for joining us. Follow us on Instagram at That's Gotta Be Wrestling and Facebook, of course. Livia, thank you for joining me. It's always fun to do these. We had some fun here. There's just some trash and some good stuff. So we got kind of the mix between the stuff we like. Absolutely. All right, guys. My last request is, is that if you listen to us either on Spotify or especially Apple Podcasts, please go and give us some feedback. Give us a rating. That would be nice. That would be fun. Um, so please, please let us know what you think, what you like, what you think we could change. And as always, thanks for listening. Absolutely, guys. Bye.